Hello and welcome to the Undercut Podcast. I'm your host, Team Albers Daily. We're back to preview this weekend's Singapore Grand Prix. And join me to do this are not Jesse and Ellie May, but the first time first time guests to the podcast, Nathan Chu and Jonathan Koo. How are you both? Yeah, um, I'm great. I uh, just got out of work. So yeah, all good on my end. Same for me as well. Just got off work. Um hope hopefully for an exciting Singapore Grand Prix, but well, you never know. Yeah, we were talking about that a little bit just off camera before we got going and fingers crossed that we can have something a little bit different and Singapore is always interesting. So fingers crossed yeah. there for definite. Before we get into Singapore, Absolutely. though, we're going to go into what the hell has happened. We've got a couple of bits of news. Two good and one less good. So we'll kick off that <laughs> news. And uh, Helmut Marco's recent comment on Sergio Perez. We've seen him make many a gaffe and controversial comment in his time but this one was a little bit further than normal and he has since apologized for it but at the same time surely a man of his stature and experience should know a bit better by now and would have someone maybe near him or maybe just to monitor monitor what he's got to say or maybe they've he scared everyone off for that role but what were your thoughts on on that one Nathan? Yeah so basically he made yeah he made a lot of comments on Sergio's Perez recent performance, which, you know, it's been up and down, taken a, a little bit of a nosedive. He's gotten a little bit more consistent in the past few races. So he has since then issued an apology. But the complicated factor is that Marco isn't actually hired by Red Bull Racing. He's actually hired by the parent company, Red Bull. So that's the whole reason why Red Bull Racing couldn't, you know, just like do something about it because he's technically not contracted to Red Bull Racing. But there has been a change and things are starting to look a little bit better because since the death of uh, Dietrich Maschitz, which was the original owner of Red Bull, um, Oliver Minstaff, the new CEO of Corporate Projects and New Investments, um, with him coming in comes a new corporate structure. So hopefully there's some form of check and balance from the top down to basically keep Marco you know, a little bit in his spot, you know, because with the recent comments, even with Lawson as well, and uh, even with uh, Nick DeVries, and we look, we look what happened to him, and he lost his seat. So yeah, hopefully that this gives Checo a little bit more of a you know, breathing space a little bit, and he can bring in the consistent performance, and hopefully P2 in the Drivers' Championship, making it 1-2 for Red Bull. So just sealing, sealing off this dominative season in a very nice package. Yeah. I think as well, Jonathan, we don't mind necessarily comments about drivers performances because again we all kind of do that in our own way but i think the the thought process and the logic i put in inverted quotes about why perez wasn't performing this time was what everyone was more annoyed about and the fact that in 2023 really we're still having that i i think it actually kind of undermines christian horner's uh position as team principal a bit because um, Christian Horner throughout the season has um, quietly been reassuring to the press and everything that Perez seat is safe, he has a contract for the season, and we want to keep Checo in um, Checo in Red Bull because he's a good team player. And then Helmut Marco comes up with such a comment, which doesn't re- doesn't really give inspire a lot of confidence that the Red Bull hierarchy is even committed to Perez, which also doesn't help that with Ricciardo back in the, um in the picture uh, with him having races in Alvatari. And now with their young superstar Liam Lawson as mm, as it is performing well, Checo probably didn't need that uh additional comments and pressure, considering that Red Bull isn't exactly a one big happy family or, uh, already. So 
as Nathan has previously put it, Ripple has some new management coming in. But my concern is that Ripple's new management doesn't really have a motorsports background. They came from Ripple's footballing op operations like with RB Leipzig and Salzburg. So it's probably unusual and there's probably a sign of a disconnect with the Ripple parent group with their Formula One operations. And I feel that this also ties in with their yeah, decision to rebrand AlphaTauri again. Maybe they rebranded to Scuderia uh Toro Rosso, Scuderia Minardi at this point. Who knows? But I feel that there's could be a disconnect with the larger Red Bull management and the racing team itself. And wouldn't want to be Christian Horner. Except when it's time for Drive to Survive. Always entertaining. Yeah, it definitely leaves him with a bit of a headache. And it'll be interesting to see how that relationship develops moving forward. It's especially with such domination. They obviously want that to continue, and that's, I feel like, when cracks will begin to show because it would only take small things to then become mountains out of molehills to to, to maybe undo all of this hard work that they've been doing. So it would be a shame if Marco was the one to kickstart all of that and lead them down some yeah. controversial path, but we will be getting ahead of ourselves there, so we'll just focus on some good news instead because every team has now been cleared by the FIA for not reaching the cost cap. There's not really much to say on this one, but it's worth mentioning and good to know that we're not having any weird catering debacles this year. And I'm sure Red Bull will be very happy that yeah. that isn't a problem either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Th there's, there's no worries about la lack of caviar and champagne in the Red Bull garage this year. Yeah, yeah for sure. For sure. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh -huh. And of course, we've had Andretti Autosport become slightly rebranded to become Andretti Global, which means that IMSA, Formula E, Extreme, and IndyCar, for example, will now all be under the same banner. And on their new Andretti Global website, they have a tantalizing teaser of their team up with Cadillac to join the F1 World Championship with the slogan that we've all come to know and really hope comes true of two icons, one pursuit. So surely this realignment is just the latest step towards them attempting to force F1 and the FIA's hand to confirm them for 2026. I'm thinking it would make some kind of logical sense with the blockbuster nature of what that race is already going to be already from at least in a hype sense that an announcement of their confirmation in Las Vegas, do we think? What do you guys think on this whole step in hopefully the right direction for Andretti? Well, I mean, Andretti's entry certainly has been gathering a lot of noise in recent weeks, especially uh, with the whole fact that Liberty Media kind of wants to avoid a legal battle with saying no. It's it's like both, like, there are some parties that are interested uh, with, you know, an 11 team to the grid as well. And then there's also the other side of the coin. But I think announcing it in Vegas makes a lot of sense. You know, it's probably one of the flashiest uh, races that we're going to have this year on the grid. Uh, and no, what what better way to announce you know Andretti's entry at Las Vegas? I couldn't think of a better time. Um, yeah, so definitely excited to see if Andretti does come in. Uh, the prospects of an eleven team to the grid, you know how we'll mix things up. We will have a second American team apart from Haas, so that will be interesting as well. Drive market is going to change, and yeah, overall I'm I'm I, I'm excited to see you know where this rebranding goes for for both Andretti and the sport. Jonathan, do we want some kind of WWE-style announcement of we've just got like the 10 teams coming in and then it's all good on the Friday, then they just swoop in on some kind of zip line down from Caesars Palace and just <laughs> unveil this car? I'm like, yeah, we're here for 2026. I mean, what I'm hoping for is probably like a Taylor Swift era's tour announcement of just Michael <laughs> Andretti showing up with fireworks around him, with dancers, yeah. take a cue from Iron Man and say, I am, I am Formula One. 
we, we, we can go with that. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. That, that that would be interesting. And I think the main the main point which Nathan has touched upon would probably be Formula One management, there's always been like a disconnect, especially the FIA with the, the FIA president also announcing that there is a bit of a disconnect there. Well, because it it seems from the regular person's point of view, it seems that the Formula One teams have been shifting goalposts a bit by saying that what does Andretti bring? Um, are they just doing it for uh doing it for the marketing? But by getting Cadillac to sign up with General Motors on board, mm, Andretti has answered every possible hesitation about them because that's a very well-known American brand, one of the largest in the world. Andretti is also known in multiple motorsports, Formula E, Extreme E, IndyCar. They have the expertise, they have the capabilities, and now they are rebranding to enter Formula 1. So if Andretti can't, can't make their way onto the grid, what hope is there for any other team? What about other manufacturers? Because as seen with even Formula One teams, McLaren has bought um IndyCar, they brought Aero McLaren, Ferrari has entered the WEC and won uh Le Mans. What about the rest? Mm, if you can't keep your existing manufacturers and constructors interested with the with the prospects of new entrants and new interests, they might just see their prospects elsewhere. We could end up in a situation where Formula One doesn't seem as the pinnacle of motorsport anymore with only the existing 10 teams. That's yeah, something that's, that Nathan really said earlier. I want to add that I was talking off camera with uh, another colleague about this for a different podcast that I'm going to be publishing at some point on. If Andretti do come in, they will then obviously be the second American team on the grid. And in terms of what they bring to the table, you've got this interesting inter-Formula 1 rivalry just on which American team is the best. And maybe that inspires has yeah. to try and find another way to bring in more sponsorship on their end and step away from being tied to Ferrari so much so that they can have their own kind of American powerhouse of a team and really get the launch that they need to finally get back on their feet in a competitive way like they were in 2018. And from a viewer's perspective, especially when you've got so many new fans coming in from America, we've got three Grand Prix there, Drag to Five's done massively. You've got two titans of American motorsport there in theory, one kind of underdog in Haas, the other with Andretti being the more Goliath character, then you've got a hell of a battle essentially that and that's not even before you think about the rest of the teams that are already on the grid and not to forget that ford has really linked up with with rebel racing exactly for, for their engine so there's a lot of american presence there in fact there's probably even more than some than some representatives from europe or even asia when was the last time we had an asian team on the grid after toyota and honda left honda's coming back as they always do, but who knows? Like the other manufacturers across the globe could see Formula One. There have been some rumors with uh manufacturers like Hyundai coming in, mm -hmm. and then who knows? But again, maybe, you've got the potential there if Andretti come in. What do they inspire from other manufacturers, like you say, like Toyota, like Hyundai? Maybe that's part of the appeal of like, yeah, we by ourselves bring quite a bit of value already but look at who else we're enticing in there and if you're excited about audi coming in and ford coming in just as a manufacturer not necessarily as a team uh, or an engine supplier then do the same with them you've got all these big names there but we're getting ahead of ourselves slightly but Definitely. it's promising news at least that hopefully we're getting closer to that hopefully inevitable announcement i can stop saying hopefully quite so much yeah, in the meantime, we, we, we are all fingers crossed and then we are just hoping because uh, the, the only news uh, satiating me for now is just 
hearing <laughs> hearing out these sports updates, which sound promising, but still quite a way to go. Yeah, exactly. Sure. In the meantime, then, as it's a Singapore Grand Prix preview episode, we should probably talk about Singapore. And there is a bit of news to do with that as well, because we have a slightly altered track layout this year. Because due to construction work, the sequence of four near 90 degree corners towards the end of the lap, which led the track under a grandstand, has been removed for this year's race. In its place is a new longer straight section that leads from the gentle left-hander at turn 15 to the tight right-hander at what used to be turn 20, but is now then obviously going to be turn 16. So as well as creating much quicker lap time, because Singapore needed that as it was, the changes reduce the demand on brakes and will also help the drivers to keep the tyres alive over a full lap. And I've got a little bit of something interesting that uh, after my performance director, Tom McCullough, said, which was that uh, normally what happened was by the end of the lap, because there was not a lot of recovery time for the tyres, your rears in particular were absolutely stinking hot on the old layout. So what this new track layout will do is allow them to cool a bit and the tyres won't be as bad in these last few corners. So actually, it should make life easier. And he thinks that from the tyre side, that should be true at least. You're still going to be probably at max downforce around the circuit due to everything else that's not going to really change much. But it will be interesting to see what this difference will do to the qualifying laps and indeed race pace. So what do we both what do we all think about this this new proposed layout? I quite like the old layout just because of the fun, twisty nature of it, but also a bit more speed at Singapore for a one-off, especially this year where we probably know what's gonna happen already in terms of who's gonna win. Maybe we need this extra spice. What do you guys think? I yeah, I I actually am a bit disappointed slightly because um there is <laughs> remote the change comes at terms 16 to 19, where it where the track goes under the grandstand which I thought was actually quite a unique feature of a circuit because as far as I recall, that's one of the highlights of the Singapore experience, like the audience and the fans could, could feel the rush of the, of the cars right underneath them. It adds a different character to the track, similar to how in Suzuka, there's the figure eight circuit, and then in, in Yas Marina, is um, wading through the, the hotels. So in a way, I'm a bit disappointed, but I think as you've put it, you probably just need to soothe the pain a bit, especially with such a long season. And with next season also coming pretty early on, yeah, I think Singapore could definitely use a shorter layout. There have been a few times that Singapore has not met um, the minimum lap requirement, mainly due to the two-hour time limit. But so it could be shorter. And with one Singapore's 100% safety car record, it is almost <laughs> definitely going to have a caution period. Yeah, I agree with what John said. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm not sure whether this is going to be a permanent change or one-off since you mentioned since you mentioned that the track layout change is going to be due to construction work. But I think for me, like that last uh, sector that those turns in those sectors were so iconic to the track itself. Um, I think it's going to be very similar to the changes made to Barcelona very recently and in recent years also to Abu Dhabi as well. Supposedly supposed to increase overtaking chances. We didn't see a lot of that. It would definitely help with tire wear and brake temperatures, which is going to be really interesting uh, considering Singapore's 100, 100% safety car chance and also the prospects of rain this weekend. So qualifying is going to be even more important. Uh, and we'll see. We'll see if Max doesn't make a mistake in his few with his last qualifying run. And yeah. So yeah, definitely. I'm not super disappointed about it because like I think driving wise that should help uh to improve the flow of the circuit. Uh but yeah, we'll we'll definitely have to see. Like it's all to play for. Anything can happen in, in Singapore with rain, as we've seen last year. So yeah. I think one final point I'll add on to what you two both said there is that that straight should help with more overtaking possibilities at the very least. And also 
I'm working under the assumption as well that because of the construction work, it should be temporary so that by the time we go back early next year, it should be back to normal. But what that gives us is something really unique that we'll also have with Japan next year in that even though that won't be a different track, it'll be a different time of year. And so we'll have had Singapore, slightly altered layout, but normal time of year, then switch it back to the old layout, but different time of year. So maybe slightly different conditions that might just throw up one or two variables that teams aren't expecting in the same in Japan. So we're trying to make something interesting happen. It's just whether or not it actually manifests itself on track is another thing. But I like that we have that possibility and that we have such a close gap between the two Singapore Grand Prix of this year and next year to be able to see that side of things. Um, that is not the only new thing we have for Singapore, though, because McLaren and Williams will both have new liveries. The latter will debut on Friday, probably, after it was voted by the fans, but has been revealed sort of thanks to the F1 2023 game, where you can see it there. And McLaren has a new stealth mode. Not sure how well that works, considering we can see it, but that's by the by. And that's going to be for Singapore and Japan, partly as a representation of a sponsor partnership and partly to continue celebrating their 60th anniversary. So first things first, McLaren's new livery. What do you think? Yay or nay? Yeah, definitely. I, I actually had a glimpse of it. It's actually really nice. Like it blends the orange and uh, black and orange really nicely. I'm a papaya fan as well, so I might be like super biased over here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I love it. Uh, the golf livery for Williams actually looks like kind of nice. It reminds me of um that golf livery that McLaren had in Monaco that one year. So mm. pretty interesting. Yeah, it's a little similar. Uh, yeah. Point that I, yeah, I knew it yeah, yeah. something. But yeah, I mean, Loving it. Uh, I actually wish that was the official livery for the whole season. But it's just but it's something that we've had with a few one-off liveries over the yeah, season, not yeah, just yeah. with them, but with Alfa Romeo last time out as well. And then I think in Spa they had a livery. Yeah. And you're like, yes, yeah, that's it... better than what you've normally got. Why are we not doing this? Yeah. yeah, also, yeah. You spent all this time over the winter break to coming up with the best idea, and then you put it on a one-off livery instead of the normal I, car. Yeah. What's this about? I... I think it was the same exactly. a few years ago with McLaren's golf livery at Monaco. Everybody was thinking, yeah. why didn't they just have it the full year? Exactly, yeah. But, but you yeah, have a preference, Jonathan, yourself? I I think actually it harkens, it ties into the Aero McLaren side really well because it kind of gives me flashbacks of um, Aero McLaren's IndyCar Challenger quite a couple of years ago, I think in 2020 or so, with the, with the elements of black and mixed with the orange. So I think it's actually quite a nice way to tie the McLaren brand together to show that hey we have an IndyCar team as well and then I'm guessing they can do they can do something with their Formula E team next time and then it just creates like a kind of cohesive racing presence. But just for the colors and design, yeah, I think it looks really sleek and it looks quite quite racy. Interesting concept for McLaren so far. Haven't really been disappointed with any McLaren designs ever since they shifted back to papaya orange. Personally, I prefer the Williams, but that's just because I'm a big Williams fan, and I'm also hoping that next year for the Liveroo, we get a bit of a hark back to the Renault days as well, because I was really hoping for the yellow just on the top. But yeah, it's a yellow, and then put the driver yeah. in like a red, red five kind of red color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're getting carried away, but I'm loving where that's going, and I think we should be put in charge of deciding what liveries they have next year. <laughs> yeah, um, definitely. Might as well, shoot our shot. Uh, <laughs> moving on for the rest of Singapore the fight for P2 and the constructors continues as Mercedes take on Ferrari and Aston Martin so with the constructors I mean it's very clear that Red Bull has got it in the back both drivers and constructors championship don't really have to talk about it Max is going to win it Red Bull is going to win it by a mile 
Uh, so the fight for P2 right now is Ferrari, Mercedes, and Aston. So with seven races to go, uh, there's a healthy amount of points there. So currently, Mercedes has a healthy lead of 45 points over Ferrari with Aston in P3 and McLaren in P4. And they had a recent surge of like improved performance after the mid-season break, right from the British Grand Prix, Austria, Austria, British, and so on. So going to Singapore, which seems to be a mix of uh, low speed and high downforce, uh, I think we could really see an interesting fight between the Ferrari, Mercedes, McLaren, and Aston as well. Because given the prospects of rain, and then looking down the constructors, uh, Haas and Alfa Romeo are fighting for P8. Uh, and Alpha Tauri is currently last in the championship with three points. So yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting because Mercedes, on the one hand, they're definitely not as strong as they used to be, but they're doing well. Ferrari, it really depends on the weekend, <laughs> but they did well in Singapore last year, whereas Mercedes yeah. didn't. Aston Martin yeah. are driving with only the one driver, and yes. McLaren have kind of either a really good weekend or a really bad weekend. The middle ground yes. seems to be. Even a middle ground for them still means probably no points. It's just better from where they would be on a bad weekend. So it's this weird middle ground. But again, McLaren did really well in Singapore last year. They had a poor P4 and P5 with Norris and Ricardo, and both Ferraris on the podium. So it's difficult to know, but it's very interesting to see there. And I'm going to throw the P8 battle over to you there, Jonathan. Alfa Moon has one point separating them, I think. With Singapore, with its 100% safety car record, it could be a good chance for them to not only bridge a gap from each other in one way, but also potentially try and chase after Williams, who are up ahead of both of them. Yeah, I think because with Alfa Romeo just scoring one, um, their most recent points is like just last race with uh, Bottas in P10. So it should be quite interesting, especially with Haas not scoring since my uh, all the way back in Miami. Uh, the Hulk has been doing great performances in qualifying. He's uh, utterly he dominating there. But yeah, but... The race performances with the Haas are really yeah. Their, their race pace is a little bit like lacking. So it's yeah, it, that. It, it it's really been quite disappointing with their race pace. So the interesting thing is that we with those two and K Mac hasn't really shown up for Haas and with uh Joe Guan Yu having having basically sec, a bit of second season syndrome there and with the Alfa Romeo, and I'm guessing also with the Alfa Romeo, everybody knows that the the punishment is coming to an end. The Sauber guys are just thinking of Audi. So they're probably just going through the motions. My bet would probably still be for Haas to pick up because I think they've been they've been due for some uh, some points, especially with KMAC underperforming as it is. And eventually Hockenberg has to turn some of those good qualifying into low points positions, nines and tens. He's so, really trying. Uh, he, yeah, yeah, he's really trying. Yeah, you can't, can't, can't really blame him for that because he is trying, but it's just the car just isn't there. Um, go, going going back to what uh one thing Nathan mentioned, basically the fight for second, because um some some of the previous low low speed high downforce tracks like Monaco and Hungary have thrown up surprise results. So with with the fight for P two, so it could be something interesting. Just I guess it depends on whether Checo wants to show up and how far how far Max is gonna dominate. Two laps ahead, three laps ahead. Who knows. If he laps Seco, then we know we're in trouble. I think that's the easy way to put it. Yeah. There is one also, one also uh, final point that I want to have a look at there, which is Lawson is continuing his F1 journey. It's his third Grand Prix now. He's had a little bit of a break, but it wasn't just weekend in, weekend in for Zandvoort Monza. He's had a breather now. Singapore is going to be 
very tough as it is for most drivers anyway when their season never mind if it's your third grand prix but he's adapted pretty well so far i mean first race thrown into the, at the deep end did all right and it's a little bit tricky to know how to rate him after monza he did decently there but obviously with yuki being out of it it's hard to know where to place him on that one so this could be a very good test of just trying to place him in amongst all the other AlphaTauri drivers that we've had and some of the drivers on the bottom end of the grid for this year. And with Ricardo probably not coming back until Qatar at the earliest, it does mean get, he gets Japan as well, which is another very challenging track. But I've been impressed with him so far, and I think he's making as much of a case for that AlphaTauri seat as anyone for next year. I Yeah, I think Lawson would, would do would probably at least do well. I'm guessing it's just the physical nature of Singapore that may, may be a challenge. I would think that he might probably do better in Japan because I think that's more of a normal driver's circuit where, where it, the adaptation isn't as harsh. So it could He's got be more experience there. there as well. Yeah, and it's also because he's, yeah. he's, he's raced in Super Formula there as well. So he's raced in Suzuka. So it shouldn't be that, that difficult for him to race over there. But with Singapore, he's... He's done himself well, and I think he's shown up to Yuki pretty decently. And I think I would argue he's probably done better than both Devries and Ricciardo in their and uh, their stints in Alphatari. So for a rookie thrown in the middle of a season, I think he's done done pretty well. If anything, at this moment, he'll be my bet for the second Alphatari season in twenty twenty four. Throwing it back to the what we were talking about at the top of this podcast, Nathan, it's another potential headache for Red Bull for next year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I definitely agree with John. Like in terms of the rookies we had, in terms of the drivers he had for AlphaTauri this season, I think he's doing a pretty darn good job. Considering he only had two races in a car he's never driven before. Uh, he got P thirteen on a chaotic dry wet race in Zandvoort, and actually when looking back at the results, I thought he got P twelve, but he actually got P eleven in Monza, which is like surprising. He was only six seconds away from P ten. Uh, it's really hard to judge how he will perform this weekend because um, Alpha Tari are bringing Red Bull-inspired upgrades to the car. And Ricardo, even though he's not really racing this weekend, he will be at the race weekend this weekend in Singapore, uh, just doing uh, engineering stuff and the media stuff. So that will be interesting. And given rain and safety car, like literally anything can happen. It's hard Alpha Romeo and Alpha Tari for the last, like that last point. So yeah. Uh, I also agree. Um, Super Form- uh, Suzuka should be a track that he's much more familiar with, considering he's racing in Super Formula. So yeah, f- fingers crossed, man. Finger- fingers crossed. But it's the AlphaTauri, so it's really hard to say, you know. Yeah, so it's like the Haas. It's in theory this is good, but then when you remember what the cars are like, but it's Singapore, <laughs> yeah. so who knows? And a quick look yeah. back at last year, then. Perez P1, Leclerc P2, and Sainz P3 in a mixed conditions Grand Prix. As previously mentioned, Norris and Ricardo P4 and P5 for McLaren. Yuki, Ocon, Albon, Alonso, Latifi, and Joe all DNF'd. There was poor performance from Mercedes, and Verstappen was only P7. And that was in, arguably until this year, one of the duller seasons of Formula 1 that we've had in recent times. So you can see why we're all getting a little bit optimistic, maybe. And we're going to try and keep that optimism going as we head into our predictions. However, I am still going to say Max Verstappen for pole position. Um, okay. there's not really any needs to justify that at this point Nathan you've kind of gone along the same route as me same reason 
same reason. Like, there's there's really not, no, not, no reason to doubt Max getting pulled. So, yeah. I, I mean, I can kind of see why John went, went with Sergio because, like, you know, it's a street circuit. He should be better at it. But it's Max, man. Like, if it's last year, maybe I'll give it to Sergio. But it's a Max in the 2023 car, so it has to be Max. <laughs> so, there's no other reason to not choose Max, man. Is it, is it last I mean, year's optimism for you there, Jonathan, then for Sergio? I mean, I would fully admit part of me just wants something, something, anything different to happen. Yeah. But I think because with Sergio's uh, noted improvement on streets, street circuits, as well as his recent improvement in, in the past few races, I think it's definitely possible, especially if there's like a mixed conditions uh, qualifying session or the track gets crowded and Max, uh, Max gets impeded in a lap. It's definitely possible, but I'm guessing it's just, it'll definitely be a ripple pull position. That, that's what I'm going to say. Podium-wise, I've kept my tradition going of just going with the result from the last Grand Prix, so Verstappen, Perez, and Sainz. Uh, luckily, you two have gone a bit more adventurous. Jonathan, I'll throw it back to you immediately there. I went for Hamilton in third place, with uh, De Checo in second, and I've gone for a wild card here with Fernando Alonso winning his first race in 10 years. We'd love well, to see the main it. Thing- we love every it, yeah. every Formula One fan has been wishing this. The, the, the quest for number 33 has been has been ongoing. And I would I made this prediction mainly based on the performances in Monaco, Monaco and, and Hungary, where Alonso did pretty well decently with in Monaco. He's he got his second place there, and Hamilton did score pole position in Hungary. So it's not completely out of bounds, but of course, <laughs> I would admit it. It's, it's fully optimistic there. And I'm guessing even with this place, like I'm, I'm still thinking Max would still get about P4. But yeah, we, we've all been wishing for one different winner and what better way for Alonso to score his first win than in Singapore. Nathan, you want to spoil right. the party for Jonathan though, don't you? Because you've not put Alonso in first place. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so I've gone with Sainz in P3. So in terms of uh, the Ferraris, I think Sainz just been driving a little bit better. I think in Monza, it was a different story because Sainz burned up his rears and he was defending hard against Verstappen. But, you know, I think Sainz would be the better of the Ferraris this weekend. Just a gut feeling. I could be completely wrong with Ferrari <laughs> anyways. I can't really read them. So I went with Alonso in P2. Um, I'll get to why later and Perez uh, for the win. Mainly because, like, one, he's been a little bit more consistent in the past few races. He's a street circuit, and Checo is king of the streets. Alonso in P2, it's a wild card, man. Like, I don't know where the Aston Martin is going to be this weekend because, like, technically, Aston and Mercedes are kind of, like, neck-on-neck on street circuits. With the Ferrari as well, Red Bull's just going to fly past. So, yeah, we'll see, we'll see. And with rain and safety car, like, anything can happen. So, I'm still expecting Max is going to win anyways, but I just, like, John, I want something different to happen. Yeah. No, I, I can definitely relate to just wanting something different to happen. Um, yeah. Fastest lap, I'm sticking with Carlos Sainz. I've gone with the method of choosing a driver this year and sticking with them until it happens. And Carlos is taking his time with making this one come true. <laughs> I was a bit too quick with my Mercedes drivers earlier in the year, and now Carlos is keeping them on my toes. And uh, luckily, we've all got different predictions for this as well. Nathan, I'll throw it back to you. You've gone route one. If you didn't have him on the podium, <laughs> he's at least getting fastest lap, I guess. Yeah, like like... Like, Max is going to get something somewhere. So, you know, it's either a fastest lap, a podium, or a win. But, you know, you can't, you can't count Max out, man, in that car. Like, it's just a perfect combination. Like, I would love someone else to get the fastest lap. I don't know, like, 
some crazy ways happen, but yeah, I think Max is going to get the fastest lap. Jonathan, are you using history on your side to justify your answer here? I I mean because as I uh looking at the past few races, like in Monza, Piastri got the fastest lap. In in Zandvoort, Alonso did. Bel- Belgium had had Hamilton. So there have been a little more variation in the fastest lap, uh, fastest lap timings. But yeah, I'm going with going with Hamilton just just for the fact with that Mercedes car should be able uh, should be able to get a fast fast race lap in, especially with Hamilton probably being mired in, in third place if nothing to do, he'll probably just might as well go for it. Yeah, I can't catch can't catch whoever's ahead of him. So let's just kind of sit back and get into God mode. Yeah, I can, I can, I can see that happening from a few know. years ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like pit last minute, you know, just get the fastest lap. I can totally see Mercedes doing it. So, be nice for him to do it for a change, and it's not just Max doing it because he can. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely. Well, prediction wise, then I'm going to come to you two in a second. But for me, I'm going to be well. Again, it's Singapore. The safety car is all but guaranteed to come out. So I'm going to say that not necessarily. This could be one incident. This could be many incidents. But there are going to be t ten DNFs across the race, and we're we're only going to get cars that score points this weekend. We're not going to have anyone else finish this Grand Prix, and I think that would be interesting. Um, I, you two, I, I'm have... I'm guessing I will I will just want to add to that, and I'll I'll just ask a quick yeah. question: How many safety cars would you think we have? I think that could be a more interesting. Oh yeah, they 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 were I, interesting. I think yeah. split it evenly then. Do ten DNFs, but have five safety cars. <laughs> okay. okay okay i'm, well, I'm some, thinking... some of them will be quicker than others because they'll be like oh this minor accident and in singapore we can't clean it up easily so we need to bring out safety car and also the stewards have been a bit namby plan beyond what they bring mm-hmm. a safety car or a red flag out for which i'm not saying no red flags just leave it at safety cars because we want to keep it under the two hours still um yes, yes. but i think yeah 10 i'm not gonna have i'm not gonna write the five safety cars in there because i just want to have to <laughs> i want to still make sure i get a point for the 10 dnfs but we're gonna see yep. about that you I... two You've gone for essentially who's winning your race. So I'm going to say, no, no, no. You've got to choose something else. Something else that's wild. The wild prediction for a reason, oh. which, yes, to be fair, Perez and Alonso winning a Grand Prix at Singapore is a little wild, but come on. <laughs> I, oh. I I, mean, I'm going to go back. I'll Tying it back to my safety car predictions, I'm thinking two full safety cars and three, and, and three virtuals. And yeah, yeah. Okay. To, to, to to call it back to a Singapore Grand Prix from the past, Alonso takes uh Alonso takes advantage of a safety car to win the Grand Prix. Oh probably, okay. in, a bit, probably in a bit less controversial circumstances oh. this time. Oh that's good, that's good. Oh, that's good. Oh. Very timely topic as well, that one. Nathan, can you top it? Uh, okay, I'm I'm gonna think one of the like Okay, I don't know. I don't know how the Williams is performing, because uh, it's not like a Will- low downforce high speed. No, 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 no. It's not like a low, uh, low downforce high speed circuit, right? Because it's a high downforce and a slow speed circuit, which doesn't really suit the Williams car to begin with. But that's why it's got the scored... just gonna take off. Yeah, like, <laughs> scores points and finish ahead of Haas and Alfa Romeo. Yeah. Okay. Sergeant. Okay. I mean, I mean, yeah. Considering the fact that like he's you know under pressure to secure his contract, so I think him. I mean, it might not really help, but you no, know, at the very least, just get some points before like you end your Formula One career. So yeah. No, that's that. that's fair, and I mean, it does 
fit in nicely with my 10 DNF prediction. Uh, I could have both Hassis and both Alfa Romeos out and Sargent's in the points. So, so it, it works nicely yeah. hand in hand with yours. Possibly, another yeah. one is, yeah, another one is Russell. Okay, this is this is crazy, la, but yeah. Russell's first win in Singapore. Just saying, just Wait, saying. So, so you're replacing your Perez wins with Russell winning? I'm just saying, yeah, because the Perez win in Singapore is like, okay, come on, it's a Red Bull, right? It's so dominant, right? Yeah. Like, if Max right. isn't there, Perez is going to win, so Russell wins in Singapore. Yeah, mm. I'm just saying, yeah. I, th- I think for that particular prediction, and because I'm the only permanent member of the podcast here, so I have definite authority on doing this, if you get both of these, I'm not just going to give you one point as a guest. I'll give you a one point for each of those. Because if we get Sergeant scoring points ahead of both Hassan Alphamos and Russell wins, I think he deserved two points for that. I don't think anyone's going to complain, to be honest, because we want what a Grand Prix will have had just to get that. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Actually, yeah, yeah. Do yeah. we have any I final think... thoughts or is that bombshell kind of just left us all a bit speechless before we finish this podcast? I... I mean, going back to a timely topic, or I think everybody has seen the news with um Massa trying to uh overturn yes. the results of the two thousand eight yes. championship. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Because I personally think it's really far fetched and probably just the result of some late night contemplations, I guess. Okay, yeah, it appears to be having a bit yeah. of a midlife crisis for me, to be yeah, honest, yeah, yeah. and I think. There's easier ways to get money out of people if that's what you want. I think if you change anything with this championship, you open up a whole can of worms for yeah, so exactly. many other championships throughout the 70-plus year history of F1. Yep. And really, yep. at that yep. point, if you're a new or an old fan and you're watching a season or just a one race or you're a casual fan and you think, well, does any of this matter? Because in 15 years' time, some grumpy driver who's not been around for ages can just come along, complain, and get something overturned. So what's the bloody point in watching? You, you can imagine some of the drivers on the grid as well, like with Hamilton and Rosberg's championships, Alonso and every other championship he didn't win. 2021. 2021, definitely. As well, then, so it's... Sky's the yeah. limit. The, the sky's Nathan, the limit, anything? I, yeah, I mean... I didn't really grow up in the era where I saw like Crash Gate and like that whole 2008 championship, but it's just weird. Like, you know, yeah, like I agree with what you said. Like there's better ways to get money out of Hamilton. And, you know, <laughs> if you if it really happens, if a championship actually does get decided in the courtroom, which is just weird to say it, uh, yeah, it's just opening up a whole can of worms, you know, roasting, literally <laughs> pissing off the entire Hamilton generation. So... I don't like even as a new fan, I don't think I want to see that happen. Uh and yeah, but I mean we'll see. I mean he's doing something and yeah, we'll see how it goes. So yeah. I I, I think I guess just one last closing thought was that I saw the I saw the headline was that uh Massa's legal representatives were hoping hoping to get assistance and help from Hamilton's camp. And yes, so the, that. The, <laughs> The, the first thing I thought of, why would anybody do that? It's basically Tom and Jerry. But like, uh, Tom was asking Jerry for help in catching Jerry. What's the logic in that? Yeah, I, I, I can't even think of a better way to kind of finish things off there than just a Tom and Jerry quote of Tom asking Jerry for help to get Jerry. So I'm going to leave it there. I think that's a perfect way to finish off this preview episode. So that is awesome. all we have time awesome. for on this week's episode. Join us again soon. We'll be reviewing the Singapore Grand Prix, so make sure you've liked, subscribed, and got notifications turned on to not miss anything. In the meantime, though, Nathan, we'll come to you first. Away from this podcast, where can people find you if they want a bit more of you? 
Yeah, so uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, so I basically work as a full-time writer. Uh, I run a newsletter with Jonathan here. So we write about all things Formula One on LinkedIn. Uh, and the type, the newsletter is called Race Recaps. Um, yeah, that's that. Jonathan? Yep. Um, as Nita mentioned, we write uh, we write Race Recap on LinkedIn. And I can be also be found on, on Twitter, jkboo97, on Instagram, jonathanbwku. I, I do... I do write some reviews here and there with like TV shows, movies, and hoping to get get back into writing soon. Um, away from the day to day lives of in legal. Sounds great. As for myself, you can find me over on Is It Fast on the Curbs, Metrox Podcast, Paddocks Royalty, Instagram, just about gosh darn everywhere. So I'm a busy boy these days. That's about it for this episode, though. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back soon with the Singapore Grand Prix review.